The infamous Georgia Guidestones are gone. Will your right to talk about them online be next? Will they be rebuilt? Which group of people is most excited about this story? And of course, what about the time capsule? You're listening to the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July holiday. Let's dive in. Yes, it's true. The Georgia Guidestones are gone, officially. They're gone. They are no more. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Guidestones, also known as America's Stonehenge, are considered by many to be a globalist monument due to what it says on the monument itself which calls for global governance, population control, and keeping the population of the world under 500 million people, and eugenics. Fueling these beliefs are the mystery surrounding the origin of the monument and a book written that goes with the monument, which elaborates on the principles or instructions carved out on the monument. That's the gist of it. I will go into more detail about some of the background and those principles espoused on the Guidestones and what the book explains in detail about them, which is really interesting stuff, stuff you're not going to hear from the mainstream media for sure. But first, we got to talk about what happened yesterday and why, if history tells us anything, it's that the bombing and subsequent destruction of the Georgia Guidestones is not a good thing, contrary to the many celebratory reactions that I've seen regarding the story. So yesterday, one of the four pillars of the Guidestones was blown up by an unknown assailant who planted a bomb by the structure and then drove off in a gray sedan. We know this because the Georgia Bureau of Investigation released surveillance video of the explosion and the car driving away, both very short videos that beg the question, hey, where's the rest of that video, GBI? Like maybe the footage of the person planting the bomb near the structure Maybe you could inform us on that. Did you only have that little snippet of video that you could you could show us just to tease people into doing a little crowdsource investigation for you guys, kind of like the January 6th investigation? Later that day, after the very unsatisfying video was released, the GBI decided to just go ahead and tear the whole thing down for safety reasons, and they bulldozed the whole thing. And just like that, the subject of so much controversy and conspiracy theory over the past 40 years, 42 years, the Georgia Guidestones are gone at the relatively young age of 42. Still had so much life ahead of it. We are all but just a candle in the wind. And the best part about the whole story is that according to the surveillance footage released by the GBI, if you look at the timestamp, the explosion happened yesterday morning, July 6, 2022, at 4.03 a.m., 4.03 a.m. and 33 seconds. The explosion occurred at 4.03.33. Always have to throw in a 33 in there for some symbolic measures. You can't write it any better than that. Had it occurred at 3.33.33, that would have been a little bit too on the nose. So I commend the writers of this saga on that. Maybe it was just a, a lucky coincidence. I don't know. By the way, nobody was harmed in the explosion just to be clear on that. So it is okay to make light of it. Now, a question that does come to mind here, and definitely something worth paying attention to in the aftermath of the total destruction of the Georgia Guidestones, is the question, 
Will they rebuild it? And I have some information from the book that was written by R.C. Christian, the person, it's a fake name, a pen name, a pseudonym, who also commissioned the structure. More on that later on in the show. But this book was written and published shortly after the stones were built. And in the book, it describes what to do if the stones are damaged or they start to fade. Here's what it says. When the central cluster of the Georgia Guidestones was completed, our small sponsoring group was disbanded, leaving the monument in the safekeeping of the people of Elbert County, Georgia. If the inscriptions are dimmed by wind and sun and time, we ask you to cut them deeper. If the stones should fall or be scattered by people of little understanding, we ask you to raise them up again. So will they follow the wishes? and raise these guidestones up again after they've been struck down partially by those of little understanding. I wonder if there was a trust or something that was left for these purposes to rebuild them in case there was some sort of destruction. So look out for that. If they start rebuilding these things, then you know that something's really up. They're really sticking to the instructions of this book. This book, I tell you what, is something else if you've never read it. I'll link it in the show notes, and I'm going to go through some of it later and in the XR. And probably in shows, probably not tomorrow, but it's a long book. And there's a lot of really strange and surprising things in it, actually. But right now, I want to talk about the reactions to the destruction of the Guidestones. There's many who are celebrating the bombing and the subsequent destruction as a win against the globalist Great Reset agenda. But I question whether or not that is the case, for a couple of reasons. One, I'm not a fan of that tactic of blowing something up for the purpose of fighting this war against the globalist, as I might call it. I think that that is a misguided action that was taken in and of itself, but also because of the consequences that I believe and I'm already seeing will result from it. Secondly, history tells us that this type of thing is not going to be good. It's actually going to end up serving the agenda than serving the purpose of effectively fighting against it. And thirdly, because there's likely no one more excited about this story than the January 6th committee. They're over the moon about this. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Starting from the back, and all of these reasons kind of intertwine, but the January 6th committee, they've got to be thrilled about this story. Nobody is going to be more excited about this destruction of the Georgia Guidestones than the January 6th committee. Here's why. This story is perfect for their narrative. If the January 6th narrative is Cinderella, the Georgia Guidestones being bombed are the glass slippers. It's a perfect fit, and it gives Adam Schiff a reason to get manhandled by a prince. It's a win-win for everyone involved in the committee. They've been doing two things during these hearings. One is creating a bogus historical record of what happened on January 6th. Everybody knows that. And two, trying to convince the American public that's watching that not only was Trump a threat to democracy in the past, a violent threat, he's a violent threat to democracy right now, currently, in the present. Him and his minions are. They are an ongoing domestic terror threat, and they need to be stopped immediately if our democracy is to survive. That is what they want to convince the public of, the urgency of the current threat. And this story provides the perfect example for them to roll out during one of these hearings to make that point. 
They will play the useless surveillance footage of the explosions and the car driving away with some somber, dramatic music overlaid and maybe some intercut shots of bloody puppies and dead babies. And Adam Schiff will stand up and melodramatically say that January 6th may be a thing of the past, but it's still happening right now. The violence is still happening. Just look at what happened to those poor, poor structures in Elbert County, Georgia. The structures could have been any of us. It could have been your loved ones. It could have been your children. They will no doubt do this. These hearings have been terrible so far. They desperately need something concrete to show the American public to generate any kind of interest at all. And this gives them something concrete. This is the kind of story that really gives Adam Schiff a January 6th erection right here. And that's something that he thought he would never get again with the way that these hearings have been going. The bombing of the Georgia Guidestones will become part of this January 6th committee urgency of the threat theme that is a major part of this BS narrative they are propagating. And they already have another story they can link it to and claim is evidence of motive, legitimately or not. And that story is one that broke a day before the Guidestones were bombed. The story of how Lindsey Graham has been subpoenaed by a Fulton County, Georgia grand jury that is probing what they call Trump's efforts to illegally overturn the results of the 2020 election. The news that whole day was on this Fulton County nonsense grand jury, the call with Raffensperger, and how Graham better cooperate, and how the walls are closing in on Trump, and how those who spread election lies are now being targeted at the local level as well. What a perfect series of stories for the January 6th committee. A deranged Trump supporter, infected by dangerous disinformation, is pushed over the edge by the news of the Georgia County grand jury and decides to go blow up what he believes to be a demonic symbol of the globalist opposition who stole the election from his beloved Trump. It couldn't fit better. And what will ultimately happen is the same thing that happened to any conversation about, legitimate conversation about discrepancies in the 2020 vote count, is it will be demonized, It will be pushed off the main social media platforms. Fortunately, there are other platforms now where these ideas can be talked about and discussed. So that makes it not quite as dire as it might otherwise would be. But that's what's going to happen. There will be corporate censorship of people who talk about the philosophies that were on the actual Guidestones themselves, the population control, the eugenics themes, and I'll go into more of that later on. It won't happen right away. For now, people will be allowed to discuss their thoughts and beliefs on what the Guidestones meant and how they feel about them because they want to flag people. They need to create a profile because they track all of this stuff now and they use all of this stuff. The FBI does when they're gathering data on individuals who might be a domestic terror threat. And this goes right in that bucket with not wearing a mask, opposing vaccine mandates, believing the 2020 election wasn't the most perfect election in the world, thinking that Trump is not Satan, not openly just shouting orange man, bad Satan. When you see Trump, all of that stuff is part of a profile. And this will be another part of that profile eventually to be pushed off the main platforms through corporate censorship with the help of ESG aligned companies. And we've seen this kind of corporate censorship before in our recent history, not just with the 2020 election talk, but with something a little bit further back. Because one of the arguments that the people who are celebrating the bombing of the Guidestones are making is that it brought more attention to the Guidestones. Now, that might be true. It absolutely is, actually. The Georgia Guidestones were the top trend on Twitter all day yesterday, and they were the number one daily search trend 
on Google Trends with over a million searches in the United States. They were like number four in Canada, number 12 in the UK. So whether you believe that or not, definitely people were searching it more to find out more about it. But that's not necessarily a good thing because it happened in a way that the news about it could be packaged and framed to perfectly fit that globalist Great Reset agenda, like a puzzle piece. Bombing the Georgia Guidestones brought more attention to the Guidestones in the same way that the dude who brought a, quote, long gun into Comet Ping Pong Pizza brought more attention to Pizzagate. In a way where the truth that underlies the conspiracy theory is buried beneath a mainstream media narrative that portrays the story as yet another example of right-wing extremism fueled by online disinformation that caused real-world violence. Which is exactly what the narrative after Pizzagate was, or after the Pizzagate, quote, gunman story was. The Pizzagate gunman story, you might recall, was when a guy who believed that there was victims of a global child pedo ring were being held at Comet Ping Pong Pizza and abused there. And he went there and attempted to find and save the children. I think he shot a door. There might have been a door to a freezer demanding to know where the children were. He didn't find any children. Eventually, he took a plea deal. Spent four years in prison. He's out now. I wonder if maybe the person who did this is going to take a plea deal. They usually do. The aftermath of that story resulted in just about any content related to Pizzagate being removed and banned from most social media platforms that existed at the time. Now, there was not these alternative platforms that we see now, but the stuff that was removed at the time were removed under the guise of it being fake news that causes real-world violence. That was literally some of the headlines in the aftermath of this story. And I'm looking at my YouTube studio right now, and it has the titles of removed videos still there. You can see it in the studio. And from December 12, 2016... Pizzagate, what is it? What's its purpose? Removed. Terms and policies. The video has been removed for inappropriate content. Now, that Pizzagate gunman story happened on December 4th, 2016. This video was posted December 12th. I don't know the exact date that it was removed. I could probably find that out in my email, but it was not up there long. I do remember that. That censorship was justified by that story. And the truth that underlied the conspiracy theories surrounding Pizzagate was something that we all know to be true now, that global pedophile rings do exist, and in fact, prominent public figures have been part of them. At the time, no one knew who Jeffrey Epstein was. I did, because I reported on that back in 2015, actually. I have one of the oldest videos that still remains on YouTube about Epstein. I don't know why it's still there. At least I think it's still there. But me and others in the alternative media were talking about this, but nobody in the mainstream was talking about it. It was taboo to talk about it in the mainstream. If it was brought up in the mainstream by anyone after Pizzagate became a thing, the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, which was very provable by court documents, would be tied to the media's narrative about Pizzagate, that it's a radical alt-right fringe conspiracy that has no basis in reality, and it would be buried and discredited. I actually have a clip that perfectly illustrates how they did that with the Jeffrey Epstein story. Same tactics they use today when they discredit stuff. However, because a lot of stuff has come out about Jeffrey Epstein in the years since then, it is pretty eye-opening how blatant 
the attempt to bury anything that brought up Jeffrey Epstein was, to associate it with something that they had discredited in the mind of some of the public through Pizzagate. Here's a clip. It's from Brian Stelter of CNN. Listen to how he reacts when someone brings up provable facts related to Jeffrey Epstein that at the time were not acceptable to talk about. There's a man named Jeffrey Epstein who was convicted of child pornography. Bill Clinton took several flights with this individual, and there were some real questions as to why these flights were not on the books, what happened on these flights. Are we really going to do this? Are we really going to go down these fake news rabbit holes? They are two separate things. I forgot that it was Kayla or Kaylee who was in that clip before she became a part of Trump's team down the road. That clip was from early December. Well, at least I used it in a clip that I made, a video that I made in early December 2012. And the discussion they were having was about Pizzagate. And that's what they were referring to. Unfortunately, the audio isn't crisp, so you can't hear all of it. But did you hear the way that Stelter was, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to go down these fake news rabbit holes? Just immediately jumping on her and silencing something that is easily provable, what she was saying, backed by court documents, yet they are immediately associating it with the fake news rabbit holes of Pizzagate. And this was a conversation they had after the story about the guy who took the gun to comic ping pong pizza. So just plug in whatever story right now they don't want us talking about. Election, discrepancies in the vote count, vaccines might be hurting some people, the Georgia Guidestones do tell a depopulation plan, eugenics, whatever the subject is that the media doesn't want you talking about, we'll get that type of reaction from the media personality. Demonize, undermine, push aside, treat like it's crazy. So I expect the same thing to occur when the story about the Guidestones comes up. Nobody's really going to bring up a counterpoint here. They're just going to talk about how it's crazy conspiracy theorist and how it was probably a Trump supporter who believes that Trump won the election. That's all they're going to do, but they will use it to demonize and they will ultimately, as I said, use it to flag people and then probably silence them on the main social media platforms. But it's okay. It's okay. Because we don't need their platforms anymore. I'm just saying that this is why, one of the reasons why, the Guidestones being blown up is not something to celebrate, nor is it a tactic that is helpful in any way. It's a type of tactic, it's a type of story actually, that the Great Reset needs. They need stories like this to make it easier for them to demonize those who oppose them while at the same time distracting from, downplaying, and discrediting the relevant facts that reveal exactly why they should be opposed. And we're seeing them do just that in the reporting on this story. Look at the level of coordination here just in the headlines about this story. Far right called U.S. Stonehenge satanic and cheered when it blew up, Washington Post. A Georgia monument seen by some as satanic was damaged from a pre-dawn explosion, NPR. A Georgia monument seen by some as satanic was damaged by a pre-dawn explosion, PBS, the exact same. Conspiracy theorists rejoice after Georgia Guidestones are blown up. This is from the Western Standard. And then there's this headline. Georgia slabs, called satanic by some, torn down after bombing. I put that exact quote into a Google search. And let's see, one, two, three, four, 
five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The first ten results that show up are exactly that, all from different headlines. One of them being Snopes, that just copied this what appears to be ABC news outlet that originally reported a local ABC news outlet that used that headline. What happens there for that copywriter that wrote that original headline for that story? Do they get royalties when eighty different news outlets just copy? your exact headline? Why are we looking at different publications if they all say the exact same thing? And the Lindsey Graham story isn't the only one that they can link to this story. And I know I'm talking about this a lot today, but this strategy that they're using right now on this, they use it all the time. And it's so apparent right here with this story. And this story is going to come back. I guarantee it. It's going to be part of this whole Jan 6 thing. I, I said that already, but I think it's worth dissecting a little. After I give you a little bit of this reporting, we're going to go into what it actually says in the book, which is some pretty eye-opening stuff. So there's a woman named Candace Taylor who ran for, who was a candidate in the Georgia Republican primary for governor. She didn't win. She got very few votes. However, her campaign platform made her the perfect public face of crazy, at least how the media portrays her. That could be used for the purpose of pushing this Georgia Guidestones narrative. Because during her campaign, she called the Guidestones satanic, and she made demolishing them part of her platform, saying that she would get rid of them on the first day she was governor. And she also made Trump had the 2020 election stolen from him part of her campaign platform as well. Those are the two things they want to link together. Therefore, she is the person who is focused on in most of the reporting that I've seen on what happened. She is pointed at as an example of who is to blame. And on the day that the Guidestones were bombed and then demolished, she tweeted, God is God all by himself. He can do anything he wants to do. That includes striking down satanic Guidestones. Now, this is the, quote, conspiracy theory that the media is now saying that the crazy people are promoting that it got hit by lightning. And the news articles about the Guidestones, what happened and why it happened, talk about her and they point to her as part of the problem and some of the most telling reporting about the guidestones comes from at least where i've seen it pbs and the ajc who both quote a woman named katie mccarthy who is a researcher for the anti-defamation league she researches conspiracy theories and she told pbs that the bombing is another example of how conspiracy theories do and can have real world impact We've seen this with QAnon and multiple other conspiracy theories that these ideas can lead somebody to try to take action in furtherance of these beliefs. They can attempt to try and target the people and institutions that are at the center of these false beliefs. That's what I was talking about earlier when I was comparing it to Pizzagate. Very similar in how they reported on Pizzagate. She also was quoted by the AJC, sort of anyway. Listen to how the AJC frames her quote, injecting things that she doesn't appear to say when they actually get to the quote. The AJC says, Katie McCarthy, a researcher with the Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism, said it's reasonable to suspect the explosion is tied to the monument's reputation among extremist groups, fueled by its mysterious origins. McCarthy said conspiracy theories about the monument have been around for years, long before the rise of QAnon, but she said it will be very concerning if the explosion is tied to extremists. Okay, mind you, none of that was quoted. We're just now getting to the part where they quote her. She said, or is quoted as saying anyway, 
It's definitely troubling, and it shows that these conspiracy theories that spread and percolate online have real-world consequences. That theme again. This is clearly the narrative here. And listen to what she says here about the Overton window. She says this to the AJC, again, referencing Candace Taylor, the Republican primary governor candidate. McCarthy said that the fact that a candidate for governor, even a failed one, gives voice to such ideas raises the question of whether they are fringe anymore. Political scientists sometimes refer to this as the Overton window to describe the range of policies and beliefs acceptable to voters at any given time. The Overton window is definitely shifting, and we are seeing these fringe and extreme beliefs move into the mainstream. Okay, so it's extreme and fringe to point out that a mysteriously built, perfectly astronomically aligned structure that very clearly has instructions on it for global governance and population control, that's fringe. But the normalization of a six foot seven man dominating at women's swimming and the usage of preferred pronouns, that's normal. That's not extreme. Maybe she's referring to both. I highly doubt it. The article then perfectly ends by calling for anyone who has information regarding the incident to give the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, a call. And it gives the phone number so you can rat out any of your friends who might have been to the Guidestones. You might not like the Guidestones. You can send a tip anonymously so you can hide. You don't have to worry about them finding out. So go ahead, call them. Let's see if they end up doing a January 6th style investigation to track down whoever it is that did this. At the very least, we know they're going to come after people, at least on social media. They're going to flag them. They're going to eventually censor them. They're going to demonize them. Anybody who talks about what it actually said explicitly on those stones, the depopulation agenda, the eugenics agenda, the global government agenda, stuff that is further proven in the book will be subjected to this corporate censorship. But who cares about that? There are other platforms that have emerged. We don't need their platforms anymore, so it's perfectly fine. However, while we don't need their platforms anymore, we also don't want to hand them a perfectly constructed story that fits their narrative like a puzzle piece when they are thirsting for something. We kind of bailed them out, whoever did this, by giving the January 6th commission something that they can latch onto. And they will, as I said, giving the news something they can latch onto. They need concrete stuff that validates all the empty nonsense they've been propagating for the past few years. So giving them that concrete stuff is not the way to fight the globalist. That is the main reason, and I also just don't promote that type of activity. That's not the best way to fight them. And I should say that I don't necessarily believe that this was a natural, spontaneous act that somebody did who wasn't pushed or who wasn't an inside job. Could have been an inside job. I mean, it just fit everything so perfectly for them. Or it could have been some idiot who was surrounded by a bunch of feds who was entrapped into doing it. Didn't know any better. Okay, before we get to the final portion of the show today where we are going to go through the background of what the Guidestones are, and we're going to reference the book that was published and a companion with the Guidestones and details what the stuff written on it, etched on it, what it means. And it does provide some answers. It also raises some questions. And that will definitely take us into the XR because there's a good bit of material here. If we get through it during the XR, the exclusive portion of the show, then I may go into some solutions that could be effective 
in fighting the globalists. A lot better than blowing up a Georgia Guidestone symbol. And they come from a book called Nudge. Not the older Nudge book, but the upgraded Nudge book that was written and released during the pandemic. And Cass Sunstein was one of the writers on it. Cass Sunstein is President Obama, former President Obama's chief propagandist. That's what he was. And he is writing how to manipulate people with choice architecture, how to con them. He's rationalizing why it's okay to manipulate them to make the decisions for them. And he talks about how to affect mass change in society. And I'm reading through these tactics, and I'm going, wow, these are good ideas that could be used against the globalists, some of them. Now, the manipulative portion of it, that's not what I'm referring to. I'm simply referring to some very simple tactics of creating awareness, positive awareness as opposed to negative awareness, which is what the Georgia Guidestone story created when it comes to fighting the globalist. And if you want to get access to that exclusive content, you can check out the Propaganda Report Patreon page at patreon.com slash propaganda report. Every tier gets access to the XR content. You can check out the other tiers as well. Might be adding a new tier soon also. So check that out and subscribe today to the Propaganda Report Patreon page, patreon.com slash propaganda report for that exclusive DNB XR material. Okay, on to the final portion of the show and the subject that was on the top of my mind when I first heard about the Georgia Guidestones being bombed and then subsequently bulldozed and destroyed completely is what about the time capsule? For those of you that don't know, there was a time capsule that was allegedly built into the ground as part of the Guidestones. Now, the media outlets, the few of them that even reference this, lie about it, saying that the time capsule was never filled and nothing is there, but they don't know this. This has never been proven. They've never dug it up. They haven't found where it would be or excavated the entire land. Today would have been the day where they could have done that. So that's a lie when you hear them say that. The reality is they do not know. Here is some of the backstory, or at least what the engraving on the guidestone said about the time capsule. Well, this isn't the engraving yet. This is just the surrounding information. Nearby the main guidestone structure is another tablet that explanatory information is on, like the date of the unveiling, which was March 22nd, 1980, the astronomic features and the message that reads, these be guidestones to an age of reason. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. These be guidestones to an age of reason. I left out a word there. It's let these be guidestones to an age of reason. They weren't pirates, not that I'm aware of. These be guidestones to an age of reason. Yeah, I think I definitely left out that first word. Let these be guidestones to an age of reason. And also on that same stone, it says the one thing that I found the most interesting. It says, time capsule placed six feet below this spot. Then it says, on, with a blank space next to it where a date would be filled in. And below that it says, to be opened on, with a blank space, for a date to be filled in. So neither date was filled in on the time capsule. However, despite what others say, as I said, nobody knows if it was filled and they just didn't put that on there and... uh, the stuff is down there or not. I don't know if they dug this stuff up. I want to know if they dug it up. Nobody's asked that question that I've seen. Nobody's mentioned that that I've seen. I want to know if they found something. If they did find something, what I wonder is, would they tell us? 
They would obviously look inside of it if they could get it open. I don't know if it was some superstructure, but I'm assuming that they probably could. But I have a feeling they probably would not tell us what was inside that time stone or time capsule if they did, in fact, find something. Maybe we should call the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and request and, and send a tip because they did want a tip. So we should all call in the GBI and send in tips saying, hey, we have a tip from the Guidestone information itself, that there is a time capsule six feet below where that one stone was. You need to go look and tell us what it is. Let's flood the GBI tip line with tips about that time capsule and get to the bottom of this, or at least find out how they respond, because that is what I really want to know. So hopefully we can get that question answered from the GBI. I won't hold my breath. So here's some interesting information about the origin of the Georgia Guidestones. In 1979, a man using the name or pseudonym, Robert C. Christian, which I'm sure that most of you have heard that name, approached the Elberton Granite Finishing Company on behalf of a small group of loyal Americans and commissioned the structure. He explained that the stones would function as a compass, calendar, and clock and should be capable of withstanding catastrophic events, but not somebody who's angry at the globalist, apparently. And the guys over at the Elberton Granite Place assumed that this Christian guy was crazy, and they tried to discourage him by giving him a price quote higher than any project they'd ever taken. And to their surprise, he accepted it. And then when arranging payments, said that he and his small group of buddies had been planning this for 20 years, and they wanted to remain anonymous. Now, there's much debate over who R.C. Christian is, but the prominent theories being promoted by the left and right right now are the ones I'm going to briefly go over. I know there's other theories, but the right is basically promoting that as Ted Turner, while the left is promoting that it is a guy named Herbert Kirsten. The reason the left is promoting that is because John Oliver did a segment on the Guidestones where he talked about that Candace Taylor lady in Georgia and said that the person who commissioned it was Kirsten. He said it pretty definitively. He cited a documentary, which I don't think was all that definitive in its sourcing, but there is evidence there. And then he kind of jumped to a conclusion that those in the documentary also jumped to, and it was definitely a leap. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but definitely a leap in logic. Said that he is a white nationalist who supports David Duke. David Duke, who's 30 years younger than him, which is possible. The reason the right promotes Ted Turner is because they can easily associate him with CNN and the globalist. And the reason that the left is now promoting this other one is because John Oliver told them that he was a white supremacist. And that makes it easy for them to say, look, see, this is a white supremacist racist thing, which is a go-to they can use when they are confronted with information about it that is indefensible, like the eugenics aspect of it. You can only ignore the reality of something for so long and bury the truth about it. When someone comes at you and says, hey, look at this eugenics plan that's associated with it, they just go, oh, well, uh, it's a white nationalist racist thing anyway, so it doesn't matter. Well, what none of them really talk about on either side is the fact that perhaps both Ted Turner and this other guy were involved in. It was a small group of Americans, not just one person. There was a number of people involved and questions about the one guy Hirsch, whether or not he had the money, I might be saying his, not Hirsch, I'm not saying Kirsten, probably saying his name wrong. 
he probably did not have enough money, many people believe, to actually do this. So he would have had to have gotten help from somebody. Ted Turner did have enough money. Did they know each other? Did they work together? I don't know. Ted Turner was married to Jane Fonda, so that's definitely you're guilty of something just by making that decision there. But another thing that they don't consider on the left anyway is that just calling someone a white nationalist and this guy who they say was responsible for it, who they say is R.C. Christian, Herbert Kirsten, was born in Germany in 1920, would have lived through both World War One and Two. Perhaps there is some Nazi influence there. Perhaps he's a Nazi. Perhaps he is just like those who they think are on their side, like Klaus Schwab and others, because there's a lot of Nazi, you know, ish theories about Klaus Schwab and the fact that they have been supporting giving billions worth of dollars to Ukraine, where the money has been going to literal neo-Nazis. This is admitted, giving weapons to neo-Nazis. So what the left does not consider is that perhaps it is those whom they prop up that are, in fact, the Nazis. Okay, I'm not going to go into the evidence to support who may or may not be R.C. Christian, but here are some cool features about the monument. It's over 19 feet tall, weighs over 200,000 pounds, or it weighed over 200,000 pounds. It consisted of six slabs of granite, one central, there are four on the surrounding areas, and they all have inscriptions on them front and back, and then there's a slab on the top. On the four upright stones that are surrounding the center stone, there's a message consisting of 10 guiding principles engraved in eight different languages, front and back. There's a different language on each side of the four upright stones. The languages on those were English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindu, Hebrew, Arabic, traditional Chinese, and Russian. They were chosen because at that time they represented most of humanity. You also have to consider the fact that it was a Cold War when this thing was constructed or commissioned. Along with the 10 guidelines inscribed in eight languages, there were shorter messages inscribed at the top of the structure in four ancient languages. Babylonian, classic Greek, Sanskrit, and Egyptian hieroglyphs. And as mentioned before, the guidestones are meant to guide humanity to an age of reason. Now, about the location, which I think this is really cool, it stands at the highest point of Elberton County. It's on top of an astronomically, or the capstone on top is astronomically aligned with the North Star, and there is an additional stone to the west of the structure. Each day at noon, the sun shined through a small slit indicating the time of day and also highlighting the date that is engraved on the slab of the granite below. The celestial sphere is also tracked through a channel in the stone that indicates these celestial poles acting as a compass. And finally, the guidestones were located not far from what local Cherokee Indians refer to as Ayi-Li-Ai-Lohi. I'm sure that I said that wrong. Or the center of the earth. So, it's not far from an area that the Cherokee Indians in Georgia refer to the center of the earth. Now, maybe that's true. That's cool if it is true. It adds even more mystique to the whole thing. But on to the book that I've been promising the whole time. The accompanying book was also written by R.C. Christian and was published a couple of years later and was sent out to a number of influential thought leaders and politicians. And it speaks of philosophy expanded communication, and ideal world conditions that mirror the beliefs of the Rosicrucians. All right, before I go through some select passages, here are the 10 
instructions that are on the guidestones that are elaborated upon within this book. The book is titled, by the way, Common Sense Renewed. And I'll link the book in the show notes. You can read along. This is on page 15. Let these be guidestones to an age of reason. Number one is maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Population control. Number two, guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Eugenics. Number three, unite humanity with a living new language. Now, there's a lot of debate over what this could be, and I haven't gotten too deep into this portion of the book yet, but it strikes me as something that could be coding, to be honest with you. That's one possibility in my mind, because they're teaching everybody to code, learn to code. Aren't the ones and zeros of coding? I don't even know if that's how code works, honestly. I don't know anything about code, really. But I think that people who don't speak the same language can understand the same code. Is that, is that incorrect for you coders out there? More on that in a second when we get into some of the passages here after this page. Number four, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. World government. Let all nations rule internally. Resolving external disputes in a world court. A world court. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Well, that's going to be pretty hard to do. Balance personal rights with social duties. That sounds like some ESG stuff right there. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. That's interesting. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. That's the environmental climate change angle of the 10 guidestones to an age of reason. Now let's get into some of the passages that elaborate on the purpose and these 10 principles. This is the opening page of the book. It says, it is probable that humanity possesses every, excuse me, it is probable that humanity possesses even now the knowledge needed to establish limited but effective world government. The knowledge must be propagated in the consciousness of all mankind. The hearts of our human family must be touched and warmed to welcome a global rule by reason. The group consciousness of our race is blind and perverse and is easily distracted by trivia when it should be focused on fundamentals. We are in a critical era. Population pressures are creating political and economic crises throughout the world. These make more difficult the building of a rational world society. A first step will be to convince a doubting world that such a society is possible. Let us keep in view enduring appeals to the collective reason of humanity. Let us draw attention to the basic problems. Let us establish proper priorities. We must order our home here on this planet before we reach the stars. Increasing crises may make mankind willing to accept a system of limited world law that will stress the responsibility of nations to regulate their internal affairs and assist them in the peaceful resolution of international frictions. With such a system, we could eliminate war and provide every person an opportunity to seek a life of purpose and fulfillment. There are alternatives to Armageddon. They are attainable, but they will not happen without coordinated efforts by millions of dedicated people in all nations. See, that's where this challenge comes from, is you got to get a whole bunch of people to align themselves with whatever the values of this group is, and then you have to force those values on the entire planet. Now, forcing values on an entire planet of 500 million people is definitely easier than doing it to a planet of 9 billion people. 
So that would be a double benefit in their little plan when it comes to the depopulation. Listen to this. I am the originator of the Georgia Guidestones and the sole author of its inscriptions. I have had the assistance of a number of other American citizens in bringing this monument into being. We have no mysterious purpose or ulterior motives. We seek common sense pathways, common sense, to a peaceful world without bias for particular creeds or philosophies. Yet our message is in some areas controversial. I have chosen to remain anonymous in order to avoid debate and contention. Our guides must stand on their own merit. It is hoped that as time passes, other stones can be erected in outer circles to mark the migrations of the moon and possibly other celestial events. These stones would carry our thoughts in additional languages. Perhaps the stones will be copied in another lands by those who share our hope for a peaceful world based upon shared ethical values and a common respect for human reason. Shared ethical values. You can only get shared ethical values on the planet if you force others to stop living by their values and impose yours upon them. And who determines what these ethics are? That is the question here that these philosopher kings cannot answer. Why do they get the power? Well, they actually do reference that in this book here, which I don't have that particular portion on me right this second, but basically the ones who just come out smarter. It's kind of like Socrates. They, they pick the smart kids, they put them in the smart schools, or not really the smart kids, the wealthy and prominent people's children, and then they send everybody else to the prison of public schools. All right, and here we get to the climate change portion. The most pressing world environmental problems is the need to control human numbers. In recent centuries, technology and abundant fuels have multiplied humanity far beyond what is prudent or long sustainable. We can foresee the impending exhaustion of certain energy sources and the depletion of many vital raw materials. To control our reproduction is crucial. So this is environmental as well as population control. This will require major changes in our attitudes and customs. Unfortunately, the inertia of human habits can be extreme. This is especially true when those for whom custom is a dominant force are uninformed of the need for change. Nearly every nation is overpopulated in terms of a perpetual balance with nature. We are like a fleet of overcrowded lifeboats confronted with an approaching tempest. In the United States, we are seriously overtaxing our resources to maintain our current population in the existing state of prosperity. We are destroying our farmland and have grown dangerously dependent on external sources for oil, metals, and the non and other non-renewable resources. Nations such as Japan and Holland are even more seriously overpopulated and therefore in greater jeopardy. Reproduction is no longer exclusively a personal matter. Society must have a voice and some power of direction in regulating this vital function. Okay, that's where I'm going to wrap it up for the free portion of the show. I did go longer today because of the shortened week for the holidays and today being the first day that a show is getting up. I will be doing a show 
tomorrow, Friday, and I'm also going to try to get something up over the weekend for you all as well. If you want to get access to the DMBXR where I'm going to continue going through some of this book, then you can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report. Thank you all for listening and have a fantastic rest of your day.